love to have you there for. So we're in the middle of taking a look at Philippians. So the series that we've been doing on Sunday nights over the last couple weeks has been uh, getting into the, the book of Philippians. And uh, it's been, uh, Philippians is a really practical book, and I really like it. And I've been, I took a little bit of holiday time. I was looking through it and kind of meditating on it, and uh, I really enjoyed reading it and, and, and picking stuff up. Uh, over the last couple weeks, I've enjoyed the Olympics and watching the Olympics. Probably a little bit more now because I, my two, I have three daughters, okay, so my oldest, my oldest daughter, my middle daughter, my middle daughter's in competitive gymnastics. And so she's on a team that's gonna go to like Toronto and all over the place. It's gonna cost a lot of money and way more stress than I have. But uh, you know, it's your kids, so you gotta do what you gotta do. And uh, so she's in competitive gymnastics. Of course, watching the, uh, the Olympics and the gymnastics and stuff for her was, had a whole different level of meaning. And my, my oldest daughter, Kaden, is in rugby, and she's in competitive rugby and plays on regional teams, and, and she's totally into it. And so, of course, the Canadian women's rugby team this year kicked, and uh, it was awesome to see them. And so we were getting ready to go on, uh, on our holiday. We went into Veranda Beach, which is on Lake Osuyas on the American side. So we just cross over the border, kind of come around the bottom end of the lake there, the top end of the lake, and, um, and there's this little resort and cottage that we stay with some friends, and we had, it was awesome. And my daughter was like, she was missing the Canadian women's rugby game for the Olympics, and she was not happy. Because like at 15, already going on a family vacation is kind of lame, okay? And so the dad made her miss the rugby game, which is all she wanted to watch. And I was like, don't worry, we're going to get there. And CBC is streaming on like 13 different events. We'll put it on the iPad. It'll be fine. And we got there, and we, we, we went to catch the, the game and watch the game. And we found out that the CBC app doesn't work because we were on an American IP address because we were just on the other side of the border. And I could see her like, you know, I was like, oh, that's okay, it's okay, don't blow your fuse, 15-year-old girl, let's, let's hold it together. I said, we'll get the NBC app and then we'll be able to watch it that way. And so I went to the app store and I was getting the NBC app so we could watch it. And then I realized that I'm a Canadian, registered Canadian Apple user and they were blocking me from the American Apple store. And so we were stuck in, in like, we, we had no app. We had no Olympics. And we, we looked at, at, the, at the TV to watch it. We discovered something about American broadcast Olympics. That the only time you will see anything to do with a Canadian is if they're standing behind an American getting a medal. That's the only time you can watch anything. And so we had to search the internet and, and to try to get updates and find things. And, uh, and you know what? All I wanted to do was watch... HD wireless video on my app, um, sitting on my iPad and sitting at the beach. It's like first world problems, you know, I couldn't get it. I was like, what is wrong with this world that we live in? I just want to sit here and watch TV and watch the Olympics live on the other side of the world in, at the beach. Like, is that so hard, you know? And uh, I couldn't make it happen. So, but the, it, the Olympics are incredibly inspiring. They show these these high-level displays of sportsmanship on one hand and fierce competition on the other. And some of the greatest moments are captured on the racetrack. We've seen over the last couple weeks in the competition, Hamblin and D'Agostino, who they helped one another up after they collided and there was incredible sportsmanship. Bolt, smiling, this, this, this Jamaican dude who is like 6'5", and he smiles as he runs and obliterates everybody. And he just is like way ahead of everybody. He's just smiling, look at me, man. You know, he's like so happy, and he's like, he's beating everybody. And, uh, and then there's Shawnee Miller, who from the Bahamas, she literally did like the superwoman dive completely airborne 
to get gold, to cross the finish line with the tips of her fingers as she was flying through the air. And some of these, uh, it's like they're, they're, they leave everything on the track. And everything, it's like they pour their whole heart out onto the track. And um, one of the, the biblical metaphors that we have of the Christian life, when we look at Scripture, we are told that our Christian life and our faith in God is likened to running a race. And so we see the grit, and we see the hard work, and we see the sacrifice, and we see the ups and downs, the wins and the losses, the struggle and the training and the perseverance and the continuing and continuing to press in, continuing to go and to not give up. We see all of these athletes, and, and, and Scripture would say, you know what, that's kind of what it means to have faith in Jesus. It is like running a race. And so uh, we're going to take a look at Philippians chapter 3. It brings us into this passage in Philippians 3. In verse 12, it says, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess the perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. Paul says, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus, is calling us. In particular, verse 14 says, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize that Jesus is calling me into. Now, as a reminder of what's happening here, Paul is writing this book to the church in Philippi to say thank you to them because he's locked in prison. He's being persecuted for Christ. He's in chains, and he's writing them this. And actually, they had taken up uh, an offering and some supplies and sent visitors, and they were looking after him, and they were caring for him and blessing him. And so he's in chains, and he's writing back to the church in Philippi to say thank you and to encourage them. And what he encourages them in is to keep going. He encourages them to, to not give up. You see, this is a time when Christians are under extreme uh, opposition. The Roman oppression is on them. There's persecution, imprisonment, beatings, uh, even being put to death under the, under the Roman uh, Empire. And so Paul knows, not only for his own self, Paul knows that, that martyrdom, he knows that torture, he knows that these things could come knocking at any moment. He's already faced uh, lots of persecution. But more than that, Paul has seen something else happen in the church. He's seen other believers give up and get out of the race. Believers that are saying, you know what, I can't do it. I can't keep going. I can't, I can't keep following Jesus in this. The persecution, the opposition, life is so hard. Life is so difficult. And he sees believers in the church, people that he ministered to, people that came to faith in his ministry, recant of their faith. Not only that, but betray other believers. And Paul is looking at the church, and he's seeing this begin to happen, and he's seeing this come upon the church. And he says to the church in Philippi, he says, hang in there, don't give up, run this race, keep running this race, because there's a great prize. There's a great prize if you don't give up. And this is his encouragement. In uh, the World War II, there was a lady by the name of Bet Nesmith. And uh, Bet Nesmith was... Uh, a young lady who had got married before the war, and her husband uh, enlisted, and he got sent off, went overseas. And she gave birth to her son while her husband was overseas. And uh, when her husband came back after his, after his tour of duty, after the war was finished, their marriage lasted about six months. 
the arrival of a new baby, the, the trauma of being in war and all that had changed and it just their, their marriage relationship didn't work out. And so Bette Nesmith found herself in 1946 in New York City as a single mother divorced. Lots of shame, lots of opposition. She had no money, no income, no job. She didn't know what she was going to do. And so she took the only job she could get and she took a job in a bank working in the, in the clerical department in a, in a finance department in the bank. And in those days, there were, there were all these other uh, clerical workers. They're all women. And uh, they would do their work on their typewriters and filling out forms and paperwork. And, and this is way before Windows. You know, there's no backspace key. There's no monitor. You can't highlight, copy, paste. This is like, I know it's hard for some of you to envision what that might have been like. There's these old things, if you go to the Smithsonian, called typewriters, and it clunk, 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 clunk. And she said that um, her, her struggle was mainly that they didn't get paid by the hour. They got paid by the amount of work that they put out. And so if she was working on a document for an hour and made a mistake, they had to take it out, crumple it up, throw it away, and start over. And she said that their work output was really down. And so in order to get a little bit of extra money in the evening, Bette Nesmith took a job doing window painting, working with some of the storefronts uh, in marketing and promotions and, and, and specials and things like that. And she would paint in the evenings to earn some extra money. And she realized something as she was an artist and as she was painting is that when you make a little bit of a mistake, you, you, you don't smash the window and put a new window in. You just paint over the mistake and keep going. You just kind of keep the painting and add some paint. And, 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 and it's just one fluid motion. And she got this idea about the mistake she was making in her typing. And so she took some white paint to work the next day. And when she made a mistake, sure enough, she took some and put it on the paper and tried it out. And it didn't really work the way that she wanted, but she couldn't let it go. And she thought, you know what, there's got to be something. And she kept working and trying and, and diluting it and making it thicker and trying different things. And um, she had this idea that it, it, could, it could be great. And so by the time her son ended up going into middle school and there was a lab, a chemistry lab in the school, they worked as a class project with her son to develop a formula and keep developing a formula for this white material. And as a single mom, the only thing she had was an a empty bottle of nail polish, a little nail polish jar with the little you know, lid that screws off and the brush on the bottom side. And they finally got this, this great, amazing formula and she would begin to, and her work output went through the roof because she was no longer having to throw anything out. Every single thing she typed, she could turn into productivity. And so, of course, all the other people, all the other secretaries and all the other ladies in the, in the department wanted to get it. So she started just one bottle, one nail polish bottle at a time. She tried to sell it. She tried to market it. She tried everything from IBM as a massive company all the way down to individual branches to try to sell this little white paint that could fix mistakes, and they laughed her out. She got rejection after rejection and said, you can't do it. You, you can't manufacture it. You're not big enough. You have no experience. You're a single mom. You're a, you're a lady. Who, what do you know about business? And she faced opposition and opposition. And she kept going because she, she had an idea. In her heart, she had a dream. She knew the price. She knew the end. And the end was she had this belief that this is going to be an amazing product. And she kept trying to sell it and kept trying to push it, and she kept going one nail polish bottle at a time in her kitchen. And all the receptionists, and soon all through New York, 
receptionists were bringing, she would go home with nail polish bottles in a box, empty ones, and she would fill them and bring them back. And at first she started to give it away, and then she started to charge a little bit. This was in 1946 when she started. In 1979, she sold whiteout liquid paper to Gillette for $80 million. Because she had a prize. She had a goal. And she didn't give up. And she stayed in the race. And she held on. And she kept going. When everything was facing, every, every voice, every opposition, where it would have been much easier for her to quit, she held on and she kept going. And it is like Paul is saying, if you stay in the race, if you don't give up, there is a great prize. And it comes in Jesus. And so he says to the Philippian church, stay in, keep going, don't give up too soon. The race is worth running. And Paul would say that there's some keys to running the race. He said, well, how do, you, how do you run the race? What does it mean to run the race? What are you even talking about? Well, Paul actually gives us in this an idea of what it means to run the race. He says, you gotta let go of the past. Verse 13 says, I focus on this one thing. He says, forgetting the past and looking toward uh, what lies ahead. One of the most powerful forces working against your future is the hold of your past. Your pain, your experiences, the patterns and cycles, the things that keep showing up in your new life in Christ, they are holding you back from running the race that we're called to run. Paul says, this is what we need to learn to let go of. I have, uh, I have a great cool little dog. I hate to admit it, but my, my wife got a dog a couple years ago. I didn't really want a dog, but the dog loves me. It's really cool. I'm, how pathetic do you have to be that I get my self-confidence and value out of the fact that my dog thinks I'm amazing? Everywhere I go, my dog follows me. It's like she thinks I'm amazing. And so um, it, a lot of times in the evening, I like to just I like to kind of putter around in my garage. I have a great garage. It's organized. It's awesome. It's, I have great tools. It's like a setup, like a workshop. It's, it's really great. And if my life can be stressing and chaos, but I can go in my garage and everything is good in the world. And so, especially in the summertime, I like to have the garage door open and just kind of, you know, have a cup of coffee and just kind of working on something. And I'll find things that don't even really need to be fixed. I'll look over the neighbor's yard, find something that I might be able to just, you know, kind of putter around the garage. And I'll bring my dog in. I'll bring Marlo down because she loves to be with me. And sometimes I'll get distracted, I'll get busy, and of course, when she's in the back, she can roam free because it's, it's fenced in, but in the front, it's a pretty big world out there, and you know, she can run off and get into trouble, and so I, I want to make sure that she's okay, so I put, the, I put the, the leash on. This is the leash I use. It's about, I don't know, maybe 15 feet long, and um, I, I take it into the garage, and I clip it on kind of close to the front of the garage door, so she can kind of go out on the driveway a little bit. Or she can be with me, and usually she's with me. Usually she's kind of laying by my feet, and she is so happy and so content. And this is on her. And when this is on Marlo, she would be standing next to me as I'm working at the bench, and she's as fine and as happy as can be. She's content because she's comfortable. And she doesn't even realize the whole time that she's tied up. It's not until she needs to go see the world or something more exciting is calling out there, and she starts to get her interest peaked out there, that she finds something out. She finds the awful truth of what it means to be tied up and chained up. She doesn't know it until that moment. See, we have Lacey who lives right next door to us, as a little Pomeranian, and when Lacey comes out into the front, they will 
tackle and play and wrestle, and it's YouTube video worthy. It's puppy video worthy. And so once in a while, Lacey comes out, and when Marlo sees and hears Lacey coming out, it is like spinning the claws and the wheels and across the garage, out the driveway, halfway across the driveway until you know what happens, right? And she gets to here, and this little 15-pound dog goes up, and her back end keeps going, and her neck is like this, and her back end is spinning around, and there's a couple of somersaults in there, and she wipes down, and she kind of shakes it off, and then she'll, she'll, she'll pull against it, like so hard that her front paws are going up in the air because her back paws or her back legs are digging in. Her hind legs are powering forward, and she will literally be choking herself, like making the most awful sounds can't even breathe to get out there. And she's like, what is this? What is going on? And she doesn't even realize that she's tied up until she starts to pull on it. And the thing, the thing with our past is that for many of us, if we're living a comfortable life, many times we don't even realize that there are patterns and cycles and there are things in our past that are still tying us down, they're holding us back. It's not until we get to the end. It's not actually until we start trying to run the race and we start to get new ground and we start to move forward and we start to get unstuck and we start to think, you know what, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna go for it. And then all of a sudden we find out, what is this? Something's holding me back. And we didn't even know that we were tied up. We didn't even know that the past was holding us. It's not until we're trying to get new ground that we find out, Ugh, what's going on? What's holding me back? What is this? And you know, I will tell you this, that some of us live in a place where you feel discouraged and you feel frustrated. Ah, oh, what? I thought I dealt with that. Why is that even there again? What is that? And we feel discouraged because we're pulling and it won't let us go and we can't get free and we can't go any further. Well, do you know this? That I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you that if you feel the pull of the past, if you feel like something keeps showing up and keeps surfacing in your life and keeps holding you back, take it as a good sign because God is calling you and leading you out into something better and something different. You take encouragement. This is something for you. If you feel frustrated and discouraged and like, ah, oh, I can't break this. I can't get through. I can't change. It's the same thing. I never. Do you know why you're feeling it? Because you're pulled right to the edge because you're right on the verge of a breakthrough, because God is calling you out into something better and something different. It's when you're all comfortable and you're all over here and you don't even know that you're held up. That's when we worry the most. And so take comfort that if you're feeling discouraged and you can't get progress and you can't get forward, you are on the verge of a breakthrough in your life. And the trick and the secret is to know how to just unhook this how to let go, how to be free, how to unhook it so you can lay it down so that you can get out there and run and get new ground and get to where Jesus is calling you. And so that is part of what Paul is saying when he says, hang in there, keep running the race, let go of the past. Rick Warren would say this about our past. It usually shows up in one of three areas, and he would call them our hurts, our habits, and our hang-ups. And there's a wonderful ministry called Celebrate Recovery, and they meet at Evangel on Sunday night, or on, on Friday night. And actually, Celebrate Recovery happens in churches all over North America, all over the world. Uh, really, really great uh, inter-church kind of gathering. And um, 
There's a whole ministry that came out of this. It's understanding the influence and the hold of our past. And it's about when you're called to move forward, when you're called to get new ground, and yet you just kind of keep repeating the same cycles and you keep being held back. Celebrate Recovery is really learning how to unhook the past, how to let go of that so that you can run to the future, you can run to what Jesus is calling you. The first category that they would use that that, uh, Rick Warren has come up with, which is really great, is hurts. It's classified as any life experience that may have damaged our heart or impedes our ability to deal with life in a healthy way. So things like hurts would be uh, abandonment, abuse, betrayal, family dysfunction, neglect, um, things that, uh, rejection, the the things that have hurt us from the past, and they hold us from running the race in the future. The other area is habits. And these, these tend to be the patterns that we start in our life that we use to remedy other things. Habits often show up as a way that we're coping or when, when things get tough and we, we kind of try and find a way to get through and we can form these habits. And in the end, they often turn into chronic negative behavior or even addictions. Habits are the repeat default script that you play when the going gets tough. We often think of the compulsive addictions when we think of habits. I think most of us would instantly, we were thinking, okay, well, there's pornography, there's gambling, there's drugs and alcohol and other substance abuses. We always have those, kind of those big, open, like these are the real serious things. But we know more than that. When we're trying to live our faith in Christ, that habits of many different levels will show up in our life. And they can have as much hold as, uh, as the other. Habits are rooted in, uh, like, our the, the things that come up in the past are things that come out as uh, abusive behavior, bitterness, a critical spirit, gossip, lying, relational isolation, dishonesty, spending habits, even workaholic tendencies are often rooted in our past. They're things that show up in our life that we formed out of our coping and out of our past experiences. The third one is hang-ups. And there's a good chance that if you're feeling the pull of the past in your life, if you're feeling pulled back from the race that God is calling you to, it's, there's a good chance it's in this area. Hang-ups are those things that tend to be rooted in our attitudes and our way of thinking. So remember, Scripture would tell us that we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, that we change the way we think. We're transformed. Your life, your Christian faith is transformed when your thinking begins to be transformed. And what happens with our hang-ups is it's, it's kind of the things that settle in our life, and uh, they change the way we're thinking. So there, here, here's a list. This is, this, this is part of the list that they go through, okay? Check this out. Anger, impatience, anxiety, worry, control, people-pleasing, bullying, racism, perfectionism, procrastination, pride, arrogance, materialism, fear, false guilt, shame, codependency, greed, coveting, jealousy, and the list goes on and on and on. Did I miss anybody at all? We all have hang-ups. We all have them. To a certain level, all of us are in recovery. All of us have got things and experiences and habits and hang-ups that have formed in our life that are from our past experiences that keep holding us back, and they keep surfacing. 
We're all in recovery. So how do we, how do we let go of these things? How do, we, how do we go to our life and kind of unhook the past so we can lay it down and run free? Well, there's a couple of things that I think are really helpful and really important as we get ready to kind of wrap things up. You know that that doesn't mean anything, but I'll say it anyways. Um, the first one is self-awareness. Self-awareness is a crucial step to letting go of your past. Think about Adam and Eve. They eat the fruit, they sin, then they hear God coming. And what do they do? They run and they hide, right? They hide from God, who's like amazing, who wants to be with them and has blessed them and set them up, and, and they want to hide from him because they're ashamed. Scripture says because they're ashamed. And so what happens in our life is we don't want to face our sin. We don't want to face our failure. Our first instinct is to deny it and to think that we're amazing and to, and to, and to not go there and not want to deal with it. Self-awareness, coming to terms with um, how the things of our past hold us back, is painful, but it's actually a gift. You see, you can't defeat an enemy that you can't see. You'll never change or improve something in your life until you know it needs work. This is why pride and arrogance are detestable sins to the Lord. Because pride and arrogance block the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and they block the self-awareness. They block the ability for us to be true to ourselves and true to God. We think we're better than we really are. And so we don't get better. We don't, we don't move forward. We all have blind spots. We all have areas in our life. We all have things that, that we're not even fully aware are there. Uh, Ed says something about blind spots, which I think is so important and, and it's great. He says, having a blind spot is like having bad breath. You're the only one in the room who can't smell it. Everybody else sees it. Everybody else sees it in you. And all of us are in the process of becoming more aware. And you know what? You, you, might, you might become self-aware through the words of someone who's close to you who you trust. You might become self-aware through a revelation of the Holy Spirit, God may begin to reveal things to you. You may even become self-aware because of the words of conflict, because somebody lets you have it, because you wrecked another relationship or made something difficult, and they're finally had enough, and they unload on you. And instead of the 20th time just dismissing them and rub, bouncing it off, all of a sudden it gets in there, and you're like, oh, maybe they're right. Maybe there is something. Maybe you've heard this before. Maybe this is like, yeah, this might be a habit. This might be something that keeps, this might be a problem in my life. And whatever it is and however it happens, being self-aware is something that shows up in our life. I read a book on my holidays called uh, The Emotionally Healthy Church. It's a story of one pastor who realized after pastoring for a number of years that he hated pastoring. He said, I just, I got tired. I was working hard. My wife hated me. My kids didn't know me. I was always away. Uh, he said, life was stressful. I, I, got, I got tired of people and complaining. And, and he goes through and he talks all about how he realized that he was working so hard because he was, he was repeating the same cycles of his early childhood and of his experiences with his father. And he realized that all of this stuff had become out of balance. And I was reading this book and it's, it's all about his journey and how he, he just kind of let God get in and help and transform him and all those things. I was reading this book. It was like getting kicked in the gut. It's like, oh, because I could see so much 
of my own life and my own issues and in his story. I could relate so well to the things in his story. And you know what? It's never easy to become self-aware. It's never easy. Paul says in Romans 7, 24, he says, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Becoming self-aware of our hurts and our habits and our hang-ups is never easy. But you know what? It's the first step because it's once we become aware of those things, we can actually go to Jesus and he can help us and he can restore us. It's when we can be honest with God. It's when our pride and our arrogance gets pushed away. You know what the best thing? The best thing for you is to know that you're a sinner and there's no hope for you outside of Jesus. And it's not about how good you are and how great you are and how hard you try. The best thing for you is to know that, God, I can't do this without you. I can't make it work. I can't make things work in my life without you. And when you get to that place, you can do something. You can stand in your identity in Christ. Um, None of us are doing a great job at many things in our life. It's why we have on the board over there, everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. Because none of us are perfect. We are all sinners. We all mess up. We all have weaknesses. We all have blind spots. We all all have areas and things we wish we could do more. I'm gonna get the the team to come. We're gonna gonna get ready to wrap things up. Um, Many of us wrestle with feelings of inadequacy and failures. And many of us have feelings of self-doubt and not good enough at whatever it is that we think we're supposed to be doing. And these things surface in our life. You know what Revelation 12.10 calls the devil the accuser of Christians? The father of lies. The enemy loves it. When you start to get discouraged and you start to think, I can't do this. The enemy loves when you're bound up by the past and, and he's pulling you back and holding you. He loves to get you thinking that you're defeated and you're not good enough and you can't do it. You see, self-awareness without the forgiveness and the love and the strength of Jesus will always discourage us and knock us out of the race. But there is something great about being self-aware and it's understanding that, that something else happens with Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, is anyone in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. The old is gone and the new has come. God is calling you to run the race. And I don't want to just sit at the end of my my leash. I don't want to sit in the same habits and the same cycles and the same holding me back when God is saying, go out there and run and be amazing. And it's coming to the fall for me, and I'm a pastor, and it falls a kickoff, and, well, there's so much we want to do and see, and you know what? I don't want to just, I want to be a better pastor. I want to be a better dad. I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better friend. I don't want to sit held back by my past. I want to say, God, I need to be free. I want to get, I want to get out there and run. I want to be who you're calling me to be. And all of us have a choice. And I'm going to run a better race because God is behind me. Because God is good. And because God is calling me and God has promised to help me. Do you know what it says in this same verse in Philippians 3.13, just right before 
Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. When we become aware of the whole of the past, of our hurts and our habits and our hang-ups, we go to Jesus and we say, I need to be set free from this. Jesus, help me. And we have the promise that says Jesus will be faithful and he will help us that we can do all things through him who gives us strength. Paul says, look forward to what lies ahead. Press on to reach the end. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Stop looking to the past and holding on to the past and look to Jesus. Fix your eyes on him. And I believe that the word for you tonight is that if you feel discouraged and you feel kind of disheartened because you feel the pull of the past, you're like, why can't I get through this and over this and why does this keep happening? It's because you're on the verge of a breakthrough. It's because you are being led and you are being called out. And the reason you're feeling that pull is because you're actually going for it. And God is beginning to stir and God is beginning and this is going to be a great, amazing fall for you. And so I want to pray, uh, I want to pray a, a prayer of blessing over you. And um, we're going to do something tonight. I'm going to get you to bow your heads. I'm just going to make this just a, a moment of prayer in the room. I'm going to ask everybody to participate in this. We'll be wrapped up pretty quick. But before we, we move on tonight, I want to ask for you to just show your hand. You don't, you don't have to leave it up long. You just slip it up, put it down, and say, you know what? There, there is a hurt or habit or hang up. There is something that I am pulling and bumping up against. There's something that's pulling on me and holding me back. And I want to break through. I want to be set free from that. I want it to be gone. I want the hold of that thing to be laid down in my life so I can run for Jesus and who he's calling me to be. If you'd say tonight, you know what? God, there's this thing and I need to bring it to you and I need you to forgive me and give me strength and help me to overcome. And if that's you and there's something, I want you to slip your hand up, put it back down again. Say, God, there's something there. Something there. There's something in my heart. There's something in my life. Why don't you stand? I'm gonna pray for you. I'm gonna pray over you in this moment. We're gonna, we're gonna worship a little bit. Father, I thank you for this community. I thank you for their honesty and for their heart. I thank you for meeting with us and speaking to us tonight. And Jesus, for every person that was courageous enough to say, that's me, and put their hand up, there's a whole pile of brokenness and hurt and pain and sin and habits. Lord, there's a whole pile. You can take it all, Lord. You take this big, giant, pile of garbage that we're bringing you and right now God you're coming and you're just blessing us and giving us you're giving us clean robes you're washing us God you're a good God and in this moment I pray God that you would set us free from these things that hold us back help us not to hold on to them and let them in but Lord I pray that you would let us let go of them even just now God we just take that and we just brush it off. We just take it off. We unhook it. We sever it. 
we lay it down, we say, God, it's there. Break it off. Bring your freedom and bring your life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening and being a part of uh, the talk tonight. We're going to actually go into some worship, just a little bit more of worship time. And uh, we have the prayer ministry team. We have some people who are on our prayer ministry team that are here. We'd love to be able to pray with you. If you would like someone just to pray, just to help listen for a minute, encourage you, agree with you. You know, sometimes we just call on the elders of the church. We just say, I just need help. You bring the need and you bring it before God and you have someone pray with you. It can be tremendously liberating. And so if you would like someone to pray with you, even in the next moment or so, the team's going to be here. You can come and find a place just as we're worshiping and kind of sitting in God's presence. Please come and, and seek him and be ministered to him. The rest of us, we're just going to kind of hang out together and worship, and uh, then we'll dismiss in a, in a couple minutes.